You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top companies in the industry use to acquire real customers, build a brand and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant at Mint Studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. In this episode, I'm chatting with Romney Taylor, VP of Marketing at Habito. Before working at Habito, Romney was working for a very successful management consulting company, working with clients such as GifGaf, Skype and Zopa. What's Habito? Habito is an online mortgage broker, but it's not just any mortgage broker. They're user-friendly, tech-savvy and a B Corp. Since 2015, Habito has received over £63 million in total funding, sorted £4 billion worth of mortgages and have over 4,000 excellent client ratings on Trustpilot. In this episode, Romney and I chat about Habito's hyper-focus on customer centricity, how they do their customer research and the roles certain emotions play in their marketing campaigns. Without further ado, let's hear from Romney. Well, Romney, so before working for Habito, you were working for a very successful management consulting company called Albion. I think that's how you pronounce it. And you were working with some of the top brands like GifGaf, Skype, Zopla, and you were really like helping them with their branding. So I'd love to hear what's one thing that you learned while you were working there that maybe you didn't expect to learn? So I spent almost seven years at Albion and as you said, had a very, very um, broad set of clients that I worked with uh, in a consulting role. And it was obviously obviously amazing to get exposure to all of those businesses at a young stage. I mean, the, the thing I learned in my consulting role as a kind of on the agency side was just how how much a founder's personality comes through uh, the the startup's brand. I, I kind of got to know that a startup's brand in the first few years of its existence is very much a reflection on the founder's personality and an expression of the mission of that business. Um, so you mentioned a couple of businesses that I worked with. You know, Zoopla was uh, founded by Alex Chesterman. So uh, his personality, you know, really shone through that brand in the early years. Similarly, I worked on the Wonga business when it was uh, still a young business and Errol Damlin, again, you know, being a a very kind of instrumental um, and inspirational founder uh, of Wonga. He really shone through. And and I think that that sort of helped me when I joined Habito and it was still a a young business to, to understand that. In those early years, it's really about harnessing the founder's energy and ambition and personality and channeling that through the through the brand. Um, so Dan, the founder of Habito, you know, really embodied uh, that for me. And, and I guess I kind of needed to learn how to, to channel that for the first couple of years until the brand could establish its own personality. Um, so that was one of the, the best lessons I learned while, while I was at Albion and had that sort of broad exposure to, to different businesses. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I hadn't hadn't thought of that. Habito is a B Corp, which means that you essentially have a social and environmental mission above everything. And you say on your website that your mortgage terms are easy to read. uh, You're working on improving financial literacy and ending homelessness and cutting carbon emissions. 
there's not a lot of B Corps in the world. So this is, and I know how difficult it is actually to become a B Corp. So I'd love to hear, you know, what was your approach with this? And you personally, what is the initiative that you're most excited about? Yeah. So becoming a B Corp was a long journey at Habito. I think it took us about a year. And a guy called Gareth is our chief impact officer, uh, and he really led the effort uh, on on B Corp. But I sit on Habito's impact committee. So yeah, I'm pretty close to the work that we do. And yeah, for being a B Corp means that we put people and planet on the same level as profit, which is, yeah, just a very, I feel very privileged to work in a business that has that attitude. I guess what, you know, you're, you're as, as in the know as I am around all the, all the problems that exist in the world today. And I think if, if businesses can be a force for good in the communities that they exist in, then it just makes working there a much, much more pleasant thing. So yeah, like it, it, it does flow through everything that we do. And I think there's a, there's a real direct connection between um, Habito's mission um, of helping people find home and the impact that we can have as a business. Because yeah, I mean, the residential housing market in the UK is one of the areas where, where historically we've not been great at cutting emissions. Um, I think housing is responsible for about 25% of the UK's emissions. That's because the housing stock is is so old and you know, um, Victorian housing is so sort of inefficient and uh, there's no double glazing. So yeah, we, we try to tie it as close to, to what we do as a business. And one of the things that we are looking at doing is, is how we can make homes more sustainable and home heating being one of uh, the biggest uh, issues that we can tackle. But yeah, you touched on some of the other things that we're doing around financial literacy. We worked with a business called Fairer Finance or an, an organization called Fairer Finance to ensure that our mortgage terms and conditions were certified by them as jargon-free. So it's not something that we just say, but we we kind of make sure that we have the accreditation and we take that very, very seriously. So yeah, I, I think... In terms of standing out as a business as well and giving giving customers something different to to choose when they're kind of researching how how and where they should do their mortgage. Um, being a B Corp, I think, is something that that resonates with a, a, a larger and I guess an increasingly large uh, proportion of our customer base as well. Yeah, it's, it's one of the reasons I work in fintech really is because it's so... I mean, the inherent nature of a lot of these fintech companies is to make finance more accessible, to democratize finance. And that's what's exciting about Habito too, is that you, you've you've ingrained that into your business model, essentially. Uh, and I see this across other fintech companies too. Uh, even the very popular ones are also trying to make financial services more accessible to everyone. Do you think this is something that we're going to see more of, more fintech companies turning into B Corps? Yeah, definitely. You've touched on, like, I think a lot of people are putting this this into the work that they do and are talking a lot about it. There, There is unfortunately a lot of greenwashing and, and people sort of jumping on the bandwagon. And as you touched on, becoming a B Corp is difficult. It, it requires, you know, you get audited very heavily and, and there does need to be a commitment to um, environmental, social, social and government uh, governance um, 
like practices across the business and across functions. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope we see more more B corps um, in fintech. We like well, I guess one of the really interesting examples uh, for me is what Stripe is doing. They kind of uh, I don't think they're a, a, a B corp, but they are like actively, and they're not just kind of carbon neutral either. They are. And yeah, sorry, yeah, they recently implemented a, a Stripe climate program or something like this. I, I saw it too. And basically, yeah. you can set off your carbon emissions through Stripe, I think. So carbon yeah, positive, exactly. maybe? Yeah. So yeah, I think that the thing was that they, they're removing carbon. Yeah, with Stripe climate, you can direct a fraction of your revenue. Exactly. So there's a, there's a whole kind of Stripe climate program. The other interesting thing I saw recently, um, which I'm sure you saw too, was uh, that Klarna is allocating 1% of the $1 billion that they just raised in equity funding to a sustainability initiative that is still remaining sort of secretive. But um, their CEO announced that they'd be using 1% of the money raised to do good with. So yeah, we're seeing um, some fintechs thinking about this stuff. But yeah, not not too many other B Corps in, in fintech just yet. So yeah, hopefully we'll see some more. Yeah, I mean, this is what I say when, you know, Klarna has come, come under a lot of criticism lately and and uh, a lot of it is justified for sure in terms of BNPL in general. But one thing that is different from um, that makes Klarna different to credit cards, a typical credit card company, is that they're doing that. They're doing that kind of thing, right? 1% of what they've raised. No credit card company would do that, you know? No, no bank probably. I mean... There have been, of course, but a big part of fintech is that mission. So that's what makes it a very, a very exciting industry to work in. But yeah, I'd also, um, I'd also love to talk about Habito's recent marketing play, uh, an erotic novel to put the moans back into your mortgage. Of course, I was going to cover this, right? <laughs> I love it, by the way. It's really, really cool. Great, great title. I'd love to hear a bit the story behind that. You know, where did it come from, and what is your objective, maybe, with this? Uh, this erotic novel yeah I, I i did think that you'd bring it up um, <laughs> so yeah the you touched on the fact that we've we've just published uh, an erotic novel it's called the road to completion and it's uh, five chapters that align very closely to um, a first-time buyer's journey through uh, the house purchasing process so this was some marketing activity that we ran over Valentine's Day this year. And to kind of take a step back, so last year, we ran a campaign called the Mortgage Karma Sutra, which was a campaign on the back of some customer research that we did. I guess the thing to say is uh, all of our marketing campaigns are rooted in a deep customer insight uh, so we do a lot of customer research. We speak to customers um, regularly, whether that be on uh, live chat, uh, through focus groups or quantitative research. And what we found in our research last year was that one in 10 couples find getting a mortgage so stressful that it interferes with their sex life and they they stop being intimate with each other. So... I guess last year we thought uh, there was something we could do to help with that. So the, the Mortgage Karma Sutra was born. 
It was a set of illustrations that were inspired by mortgage jargon, but were kind of puns on uh, sex positions and mortgage terminology. And we got those illustrations done by, yeah, just an incredible Israeli illustrator called Noma Bar. And we made some tea towels with those, <laughs> with those illustrations and we sent them out to journalists. And it was a little bit kind of stunty last year. Uh, but actually, we, we got, again, we kind of put our money where our mouth was last year. And on Valentine's Day 2020, we, we shut the website down. And instead of you hitting the Habito homepage and being able to get a mortgage, we, we blocked it off and we said, this Valentine's Day, you know, we want you to focus on, uh, you know, focus on getting the moans back into your mortgage. And here's the Mortgage Karma Sutra. So I guess this year we were kind of looking back on the, the huge success of the Mortgage Karma Sutra and it got a lot of um, talk and, and it was really shareable. And again, just something that you wouldn't expect from a mortgage broker um, or mortgage company. And so this year, again, we kind of looked at Valentine's Day coming up and we, we kind of, as a, as a marketing team, wondered what we could do this year to top last year. And I guess we're starting to be known for um, marketing activity based around specific dates in the calendar. So we do a lot around Halloween and um, we're starting to get known for what we might do around Valentine's Day too. So again, this year we, we focused on that customer insight, the fact that one in 10 couples have their sex life interrupted by, by the stressful process of a mortgage. And again, we thought, what, what could we do to help with that? So we wrote an erotic novel and yeah, we, uh, this, this was kind of in conjunction. We have a, a fantastic creative agency who we work with on all of our kind of big campaign ideas, um, called Uncommon Studio. And, you know, this was something that, that we came up with working with very closely with them and they brought it to life, uh, amazingly. Um, again, it's like a really highly crafted piece of work. This year we worked with uh, Rocky Flintstone, who was the the author of the book that gets lambasted in uh, the podcast, My Dad Wrote a Porno. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard of it, yeah. I haven't listened yeah. to it. And, uh, and then, you know, again, like an illustrator called Sebastian Schwamm, who, who brought uh, the book to life. We actually printed copies of the book and we put it on the, the Kindle store and it reached uh, number two on the erotic fiction charts oh, in the Kindle store. Um, so we just lost out to a book whose name I forget, but uh, the cover of the book was a sort of a shirtless cowboy with oiled abs, um, which I guess the readers of erotic fiction couldn't, couldn't, resist. couldn't help themselves. But by, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just very much about uh, picking a, a customer insight that resonates with people uh, and finding the most creative way that we can bring that to life. Um, and this year it was uh, an erotic novel. Well, it's obvious that you guys have a lot of fun, right? With your marketing <laughs> and you like, uh, you really like doing something different. And that's really, I know how uh, it can be risky and I mean, it's a risk reward thing, right? Sometimes it can be risky because sometimes you get backlash or people who don't like it, but then the reward is a lot higher. So obviously Habito has really taken that seriously and, um, and the results are in, right? It's, it's definitely, it's working, right? 
something that really stands out about your approach, and, and this was already my na- my next question actually, was your customer research, because this is something you already touched on. And I know that with, with Habitur, you really try to go one level deeper and you do both quantitative and qualitative research using YouGov and other surveys. What are the advantages and disadvantages of doing this kind of research and how what other kind of research would you recommend to people who really want to learn about their customers? Yeah, it's so hugely important in, in the marketing um, work because I, I think if you don't find, if you don't connect with customers and if you don't find um, the, the problems or, or the things that really resonate with them, um, I think it's really about building an emotional connection with them through your marketing. So you really need to dig deep to find out what those, those problems are that you can solve for them. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been at Habito for more than four years now. So we were a much smaller business when I joined. And for a while, I was the only marketing person at Habito. And what's incredible about joining a business of that size and that stage is how close you can get to customers because you, you almost want to find out how every single customer's experience was with you. And I guess when there are relatively so few customers, you, you feel like you can do that. You can, you can kind of reach out to them almost on a one-to-one uh, basis. And something that we did as a, as a really young business was that every employee at Habito would take turns on customer experience shifts. So usually evenings and weekends, because we would have you know, a customer experience team during the working day. But there would be a rotor where we would uh, spend time literally as the, as the kind of front door of the business, funneling customers through to, to mortgage experts for advice, or if we were out of hours, just kind of chatting to them and answering their questions. So that as an introduction to the business and as an introduction to mortgages was invaluable um, because you speak to customers, I think it was sort of once a week. And then it sort of went down to once every two weeks. Uh, and we kept doing that for as, as long as possible. But then I guess you reach, you reach a size and maturity where you want professional customer experience people at the end of the line and not someone who's secretly trying to understand your, your consumer behavior or your psychology as a, as a customer of the business. Um, so that was, that was something that I guess I would recommend to any, any small business that wants to kind of learn learn more about their customers. But then, yeah, you touched on, um, you know, quantitative research. Uh, we, we run a lot of surveys. Um, our communications team finds those, you know, really valuable. But for me, I think focus groups and uh, depth interviews, one-on-ones, are still the, the best way to get really rich customer insights. And and it's how we, we built the basis of our whole creative platform and communications uh, strategy, messaging strategy through our advertising. So, you know, just, just understanding the pain points of a mortgage and then being really open and honest about the fact that mortgages are difficult and stressful and expensive and, and then finding, finding ways to sort of highlight uh, those pain points and, and then kind of feeding them into the product team and, and figuring out how we solve them. 
This episode is sponsored by Growth Gorilla, a growth marketing agency focused exclusively on working with fintech startups and scale-ups. Taking a holistic approach to driving growth, they have worked with over 25 brands, from crowdfunding to automated business finance, you'll be in a safe pair of gorilla-sized hands. Check them out at growthgorilla.co.uk. Ready to catalyze your fintech's growth? And you even went another, like the extra mile and partnered with some psychologists, right? To, to really understand the drivers behind those emotions. And you just mentioned stress uh, and even lack of intimacy. And the main one you found was fear, right? Like when something you don't, when there's something that you don't understand, like a mortgage, fear is probably the number one emotion you're feeling. And actually this is the case with a lot of other financial services. When you don't understand something, you're scared of it. And that's why a lot of people don't want to go into the numbers and check their balance sheet because they're scared. They don't understand. They don't know. And I've been there myself. How do you market to people who are scared? What do you think is the best way to market to people who are scared? It's a really great question. And it's it's something that I was speaking to um, a couple of uh, colleagues about earlier today. I was thinking back to the moment that I submitted my first mortgage application um, and how scared I was personally, you know, clicking that submit button, uh, you know, a lot, everything was running through my head. I was thinking, you know, this information now goes over to a lender. Uh, They're going to underwrite me. What if they see something they don't like? What if I get rejected? How is that going to affect my credit score? More importantly, If I don't get this mortgage, I'll lose the house I have my heart set on. So it is a huge moment of anxiety or or fear. Um, So you're scared as a customer in that in that moment. You know that is that is real fear. You know there's the confusion and the the fear of the unknown when you embark on the process, but there is a real fear. I think at Habito, how we look at that is just you know being as relatable as we can. So we we don't shy away from the fact that mortgages are scary and difficult. We tackle that head on. We we show that we understand that this is a this is a big process and that um, it is scary. I I think it would be a mistake to pretend that everything was was absolutely serene. In fact, one of our competitors, I think if you if you compare the creative platform that we have with one of our competitors, um, the analogy that they use in their advertising is that of a, of a duck that's, oh, sorry, it's a, it's a swan, a swan kind of sitting on the surface of the water, just looking extremely serene and calm. Meanwhile, the, you know, the, the feet are kind of kicking under the water and there's activity. Whereas we, we believe the exact opposite. Customers are afraid there is there is fear in this process. And we, we position ourselves as an ally. You know, the, the way that we gain trust from customers is by being relatable. So we, you know, we don't shy away from the fact that it's difficult. We acknowledge it and we, we get, I guess we overexert ourselves on the, the customer service front. So, you know, we're, we're rated, I think we're the best rated mortgage company uh, on Trustpilot. And if you go through our Trustpilot page and look at all the five-star reviews, I think the thing that customers comment on most is actually the, 
the service and the, the people who kind of hold their hand through the process. And we're a, we're a digital first uh, broker and a digital first lender. Uh, you know, we're a technology enabled business, but we have an incredible operations team of real humans who talk to customers every day uh, and help them through the process. So I think it's a combination of, yeah, being relatable at the, at the kind of upfront part of the experience, you know, acknowledging that this is scary, uh, but then showing them that there is a, there is a way to do this that is easy. So our, our digital product should be, you know, have a friendly and easy to use interface and then lead you into uh, an advice process that feels very, very human and like you've got someone on your side. Yeah, I, I like how you combine the digital part with the human part and you've, you make that quite clear on your website that anything that's customer service or customer facing, there's always someone to talk to. And this is, I think, something that probably some fintech companies are asking themselves, you know, we want to be tech first, we want to be digital, it's often a lot more efficient, it's cheaper. But to which point do customers want to talk to someone? So maybe one could argue with mortgages, it's such a complex and difficult product that people want to talk to someone. But maybe with a simple transfer, I don't know, FX, maybe they don't need to talk to someone. So yeah, it's an interesting uh, strategy. And actually, this leads on to my next question, which is, you said yourself that you like to make decisions based on intuition and instincts, as well as data and research. And this really comes through in the way that you're marketing Habito, right? And you just said that before. And as uh, marketers, as a marketer myself, I, I think we all, we really want to try and do this to the best, uh, to the best, in the best way we can. So when do you know when to rely on your intuition and when to rely on your data? Uh, and this, you know, you can, we can combine this question with the, you know, human element versus tech element. And it's a very difficult question, I know. But yeah, I'm just curious how you try to exchange between intuition and, and data. Yeah, it's, um, it's something that comes up all the time. And I guess in a, in a business like Habito, you have to take huge leaps of faith because the the level of growth that we've managed to achieve and that we are still expected to deliver as a marketing team uh, is huge. And we couldn't get there incrementally. So we couldn't just optimize. Uh, we couldn't just, you know, optimize our performance marketing spend to bring the ROI down, uh, improve our, our cost of acquiring a customer you know, a few pounds at a time uh, until we reach, you know, break even and then, and then shift into profitability. We, we, we're expected to grow the business hugely while making big efficiency gains as well. Um, so you have to go with intuition a lot of the time, take big risks, uh, place big bets. Um, and yeah, we've we've gotten that wrong a couple of times. Yeah, you know, I've I've made some really big mistakes at Habito too. Uh, I mean, we were just talking about the fact that Habito brings humans and machines together in a, in a way that feels, I guess, harmonious. 
uh, and delivers a great customer experience. But actually, you know, we, we use that as the basis for our very first foray into TV advertising. And it was a huge flop. So, you know, again, like I spoke about the fact that uh, our marketing now is purely focused on powerful customer insights that we pick up through through research, predominantly qualitative research. Um, and that first campaign, which was, you know, this is our algorithm and it helps find you the best mortgage out of 20,000 in the market. Uh, and then we pass you on to this friendly mortgage expert to, to deliver the service. Like that was literally our first TV ad and no one cared. That was, I guess, an example of intuition gone wrong because we thought, well, let's just talk about the the amazing uh, products and the amazing people that we have. Like surely people will come and they didn't. So yeah, I mean, we 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 use a combination of both things. I think like intuition is powerful, but I think, and, and I think if you, if you work in an environment where you're, you're allowed to use your intuition, I think, I think you have to recognize that that comes with, uh, experiments and failure at times. Um, and if you can kind of learn from those mistakes quickly and, and move on from them, then, then you're onto a winning combination because you'll, you'll find, your intuition and when, when it's kind of the, the right thing to do versus the relying on the data purely. I mean, I think that's what intuition is really. It's by, you, you get intuition by making a lot of mistakes or experimenting a lot, I guess. And that's what you did at the beginning. And eventually you want your intuition to be so fine tuned that uh, some things come a bit more naturally and maybe you understand your customer a lot better and intuitively it makes sense. But as you're saying, it's also important to have the data there to to back it. And it's interesting to see how you've done that at, um, at Habito. It sounds like you're saying at the beginning, when you're a very small startup, you're going to have to re- rely on intuition and you're going to have to take those leaps of faith. And then maybe once you're bigger and you have the budget, then you can pay to do those huge surveys. Is that, do you think that's right? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I think I think you can do customer research at any size and any scale and you can do it super cheaply. So I don't think you should wait until you're a, a certain size before you run surveys and, and speak to customers. I would say that, yes, your, your intuition will build as you learn more about your customers and what, what resonates with them. But there will be times early on in a business and at key inflection points where you have to take huge risks. And I guess that, that that's the, the point where you need to rely on your experience and tap into the experience of people around you. And we've got a, you know, we've got a really supportive board and we've got a really smart group of people within Habito. And, and then I think, you know, building a network around you of, uh, peers who you can bounce ideas off and learn from, I think is, has been hugely valuable in building my intuition and my instinct as well. And just, you know, reading and listening to podcasts and, uh, and all that kind of thing, I think just feeds into your decision-making toolkit, uh, that, that, that then kind of forms your intuition. And I think if, if something feels wrong, 
then then it's worth kind of pausing and and shopping around and we you know whenever we're about to embark on something that feels a bit risky within the marketing team we always share it with with a group of people and and encourage them to share it with their partners for example so um Dan our CEO's uh wife has kind of I, I remember we were about to do something uh for Valentine's Day again <laughs> uh which was going to be really risky and she you know we sent it around to a few people and said like how does this feel based on based on the brand we're building at Habitone and the values that we've got as a business and you know you get a real good sense of that as a as a marketer but sometimes you're too too close to it and so having you know Dan's wife say that's crossed the line or that feels like it's not you know, quite on tone or, or I really want to hear what it was now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if I can reveal it. I mean, yeah, I mean, so, so we, for Valentine's day, we considered at one point, um, again, kind of linked to this, uh, one in 10 stat, um, we considered, uh, creating our own range of sex toys as opposed to uh, you know, tea towels or erotic novels. But when we, when we kind of discussed the, the design and the naming of it and, and, you know, it, it, it suddenly felt like we'd crossed a line, uh, and it wasn't, wasn't right for the brand. And so we, you know, we didn't end up, you know, launching that. Uh, and, and I'm glad we didn't because, you know, while it seemed like a good idea and an expression of a, a true customer insight, it just wasn't, um, you know, creatively right. And it wasn't totally right either. So we, we nipped that one in the bud. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why, that's why it's, it's a good idea to, to send out your ideas to the people. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good strategy. And although your first campaign, as you said, was a flop, um, you then went on to do Hell or Habito, a very famous campaign and, uh, well-known and, and, and very out there also with, uh, metal tunes and animations and and then you put this on traditional media through the TV and apparently it tripled your brand awareness reduced acquisition costs and I, I've seen the videos myself they're they're definitely not something a mortgage broker would do and that's what makes it so interesting and so so great to watch my question here actually is you did this uh, on a very tight budget and to what extent do you think that tight budget really forced you to be more creative? Yeah, uh, as as you said, um, you know, a, a young business advertising on TV uh, in the very early stages. You know, every every pound counts, and when you're venture backed, there's always the the looming kind of end of the runway um, that you have to be very conscious of. Uh, and we spoke about, you know, big bets and, and taking risks and all of our competitors and the whole industry just talked about product benefits. And we'd, we'd tried that to, uh, to an extent, but instead we, we went for fame and emotion. Uh, so we, you know, we took a huge gamble, but, but felt like positioning ourselves as, as the antidote to all of the stress and, and fear was was the right way to go uh 
and you know it, it proved itself out. But um, yes, we had a, a, a relatively small budget, and I guess one of the advantages of animation, which is the you know the creative medium that we've used in the Hello Habitat campaign, is that you can achieve you know incredible things. Uh, within a within a relatively tight budget, so we didn't have to have a have an extremely complex set and group of actors and makeup and special effects. We we could achieve this very kind of eye catching and um, incredibly detailed and flexible creative sort of vehicle uh, through animation. So yeah, again, uh, we we partnered with. A production company called Strange Beasts in the day uh, now Andy Baker who uh, was the lead animator on our campaign has formed his own production company and we still work with Andy Baker and he has kind of previously worked on Rick and Morty cartoons so yeah I mean w- within animation uh, you are more flexible and you can achieve a lot more for your for your budget so that was the I guess the route in and how we were you know, able to to achieve something with huge standout, but not while kind of breaking the bank. Um, and then it was just down to being, you know, really smart on things like voiceover. Uh, so the voiceover artist uh, on our TV ads is the producer at Uncommon, um, who who works on the ads. The track we use is by a Dutch band called Noisia. Yeah, who you know we we we've worked out a, a sensible commercial deal with, um, but yeah, it's it's really about yeah getting the most for our budget, and while having unlimited creativity, and I think that's what animation gives you. Yeah, I like that tip. It's really the animation that lets you do the crazy stuff that maybe other mortgage brokers or fintechs cannot do. My last question to you is. Uh, what is one marketing play you think marketing managers are underutilizing uh, today? I'll talk about a, a few things. Um, I think we, so one thing I've learned recently, so we, we've recently hired a community manager. Um, so someone who runs our social channels and um, runs our community activity and I mean, there are businesses who have fintech and uh, fintech businesses who've built themselves on on community. So uh, Monzo probably being the best example of of that. Um, and we came to that really late. I feel in in our development as a business. And I guess recently I've seen how powerful that is. Not only in having having a channel that is you know, something that people spend a huge amount of their time uh, on, but likewise being able to pick up customer sentiment and, you know, what people are saying and how they're feeling. So there's there's a kind of a feedback loop that works within social and community that I'm only really finding out the, the, the power of since we, since we hired a community manager. So I feel like it was something that maybe we neglected for for too long and didn't fully appreciate the, the power of. And again, like the, the great thing about um, 
community is it's a it's a dialogue so you know you're not just measuring the clicks on your google ads uh or i guess we we did receive a few complaints about our tv ads but that was i guess the extent of the dialogue but uh through your kind of own social channels um that you can you can have conversations with people uh, which is maybe something we were missing so i guess yeah like the one thing if if i could have done it differently is kind of put more focus on community earlier and that you know that allows you as a business to be more transparent too um which is a a great way to to build trust so yeah you know even if you're even if you feel like maybe you're speaking into a, a void in the early days if there's if there's not if you don't have a huge amount of followers or anything like that, like there's still amazing um, opportunities to build connections uh, through your social channels and and by building a community. So I, I guess my my one tip would be not to undervalue that or to over overlook that in the early days because I think it's worth putting in the effort. It's a perfect place to end. Thank you very much, Romney. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much, Armando. It was great. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.